Chapter Three of And So They Were Married by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Michelle Eaton. The question of wherewithal shall we be clothed, which has vexed the world since its beginning in the garden, planted eastward in Eden, confronts the children of Eve so persistently at every serious crisis of life that one is forced to the conclusion that clothes sustain a very real and vital relation to destiny. Even Solomon, in all his glory, must earnestly have considered the colour and texture of his famous robes of state when he was making ready to dazzle the eyes of the Queen of Sheba and the Jewish Esther's royal apparel and Joseph's coat of many colours played important parts in the history of a nation. Elizabeth North had been engaged to be married to Samuel Brewster exactly a fortnight when the age-long question presented itself to her attention. It was perhaps inevitable that she should have thought speculatively of her wedding gown. What girl would not? But in the sweet amaze of her new and surprising happiness, she might have gone on wearing her simple girlish frocks, quite unaware of its relation to her wardrobe. She owed her awakening to Miss Evelyn Tripp. Elizabeth had known Evelyn Tripp in a distant fashion, suited to the great gulf which appeared to exist between the fashionable lady from Boston, who was in the habit of paying semi-annual visits to Innisfield, and the young daughter of the country doctor. She had always regarded Miss Tripp as the epitome of all possible elegance, and vaguely associated her with undreamed-of festivities and privileges peculiar to the remote circles in which she moved when absent from Innisfield. Miss Tripp explained her presence in the quiet village after one formula which had grown familiar to everyone. "'I was completely worn out, my dear. I've just run away from a perfect whirl of receptions, teas, luncheons and musicals, Really, I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown when my physician simply insisted upon my leaving it all. I do find, dear, quiet Innisfield so relaxing after the social strain. Miss Tripp's heavily italicised remarks were invariably accompanied by uplifted eyebrows and a sweetly serious expression, alternating with flashing glimpses of very white teeth and further accented by numberless little movements of her hands and shoulders, which suggested deeper meanings than her words often conveyed. Ill-natured people such as Mrs. Buckthorn and Electa Pratt declared that Evelyn Tripp was thirty-five if she was a day, though she dressed like sixteen, and furthermore that her social popularity in Boston was a figment of her own vivid imagination. Elizabeth North, however, had always admired her almost reverently in the shy, distant fashion of the young country-bred girl. Miss Tripp was unquestionably elegant, and her smart gowns and the large picture hats she affected had created quite their usual sensation in Innisfield, where the slow-spreading ripples of fashion were viewed with a certain stern disfavour as being linked in some vague manner with irreligion of a dangerous sort. She's too stylish to be good for much, being the excellent Mrs. Buckthorn's severe corollary. Miss Tripp had been amongst the first to press friendly congratulations upon young Brewster, who, on his part, received them with the engaging awkwardness of the unaccustomed bachelor. You are certainly the most fortunate of men to have won that sweet, simple Elizabeth North. I've known her since she was quite a child, since we were both children, in fact, and she was always the same unspoiled, unaffected girl, so different from the young women one meets in society circles. She's all of that, quoth the fortunate engineer, vaguely aware of a lack of flavour in Miss Tripp's encomium, and er more. Whereat Miss Tripp laughed archly, and playfully shook a daintily gloved finger at him. 
I can see that you think no one is capable of appreciating your prize, but I assure you I do. You shall see. This last was a favourite phrase, and conveyed quite an alluring sense of mystery, linked with vague promise of unstinted benevolences on the part of Miss Tripp. Do you know, she added seriously, I am told that you are closely related to Mrs. J. Mortimer Van Duser. She is a wonderful woman, so prominent in the best circles, and interested in so many important charities. Samuel Brewster shook his head. The relationship is hardly worth mentioning, he said. Mrs. Van Duser was a distant relative of my mother's. But of course, you see a great deal of her when you are in Boston, do you not? persisted the lady. I dined there once, acknowledged the young man, vaguely uneasy and rather too obviously anxious to make his escape. But I dare say she has forgotten my existence by this time. Mrs. Van Duser is, as you say, a very, er, uh, active woman. On the following day, Elizabeth North encountered Miss Tripp on the street. She was about to pass her after a shy salutation, when Miss Tripp held out both hands in a pretty impulsive gesture. I was just on my way to see you, dear, but if you are going out, of course I'll wait till another day. My dear, he's simply perfect, and I really couldn't wait to tell you so. Do tell me when you are to be married. In June, I hope, for then I shall be here to help. Elizabeth blushed prettily, her shy gaze taking in the detail of Miss Tripp's modish costume. She was wondering if a jacket made like the one Miss Tripp was wearing would be becoming. I, we haven't thought so far ahead as that, she said. Then with a sudden access of her new dignity, Mr. Brewster expects to return to Boston in the spring. The work here will be finished by that time. Miss Tripp's eyes brightened with a speculative gleam. Oh, then you will live in Boston. How delighted I am to hear that. Did you know your fiancé is related to Mrs. Mortimer Van Duser, and that he has dined there? You didn't. But of course you must have heard of Mrs. Van Duser. I believe your minister's wife is a relative of hers. But Mrs. Van Duser doesn't approve of Mrs. Pettibone, I'm told. Her opinions are so odd. But I am so glad for you, my dear. If everything is managed properly, you will have an entree to the most exclusive circles. Miss Tripp's eyebrows and shoulders expressed such unfeigned interest and delight in her prospects that Elizabeth beamed and smiled in her turn. She wished, confusedly, that Miss Tripp would not talk to her about her engagement. It was too sacred, too wonderful a thing to discuss on the street with a mere acquaintance like Miss Tripp. Yet all the while she was rosily conscious of her new ring, which she could feel under her glove and a childish desire to uncover its astonishing brilliancy before such warmly appreciative eyes presently overcame her desire to escape. "'Won't you walk home with me?' she asked. "'Mother will be so glad to see you.' "'Oh, thank you. Indeed, I was coming to condole with your dear mother and to wish you all sorts of happiness. I've so often spoke of you to my friends in Boston.' Elizabeth wondered what Miss Tripp could possibly have said about her to her friends in Boston but she was assured by Miss Tripp's brilliant smile that it had been something agreeable. When she came into the room, after removing her hat and cloak, she found her mother deep in conversation with the visitor, who made room for her on the sofa with a smile and a graceful tilt of her plumed head. "'We've been talking about you every minute, dear child. You'll see what a sweet wedding you'll have. Everything must be of the very latest, and it isn't a minute too soon to begin on your trousseau.' You really ought to have everything hand-embroidered, you know, 
those flimsy laces and machine-made edges are so common you won't think of them and they don't wear a bit well either mrs north glanced appealingly at her daughter oh she said in a bewildered tone i guess elizabeth isn't intending to be married for a long long time yet i-we can't spare her miss tripp laughed airily poor mamma she murmured with a look of deep sympathy it is too bad isn't it but really i'm sure you're to be congratulated on your future son-in-law he belongs to a very aristocratic family mrs mortimer van duser is a relative you know and dear betty must have everything suitable i'll do some pretty things dear i'd love to and i'll begin this very day though the doctor has absolutely forbidden me to use my eyes but i simply can't resist the temptation then she had exclaimed over the sparkle of elizabeth's modest diamond which caught her eyes at the moment and presently in a perfumed rush of silken skirts and laces and soft furs miss tripp swept away chatting to the outermost verge of the frosty air in her sweet-toned drawling voice so different from the harsh nasal accents familiar to innisfield ears elizabeth drew a deep breath as she watched the slim erect figure move lightly away she felt somehow very ignorant and countrified and totally unfit for her high destiny as a member of boston's select circles as a result of these unwanted stirrings in her young heart she went up to her room and began to look over her wardrobe with growing dissatisfaction her mother hearing the sound of opening and shutting drawers came into the room and stood looking on with what appeared to the girl a provokingly indifferent expression on her plump middle-aged face it is really too soon to begin worrying about wedding clothes bessie observed mrs north with a show of maternal authority of course after a doubtful silence we might begin to make up some new underclothes i've a good firm piece of cotton in the house and we can buy some edges the girl suddenly faced her mother her pink lips thrust forward in an unbecoming pout why mother she said don't you know people don't wear things made out of common cotton cloth now everything has to be as fine and delicate as a cobweb almost and hand embroidered you can make them or buy them in the stores marianne had some lovely things when she went to college all the girls wear them except me of course i've never had anything of the sort but i suppose i'll have to now she shut her bureau drawer with an air of finality and leaned her puckered forehead upon her hand while the new diamond flashed its blue and white fires into her mother's perplexed eyes we'll do the very best we can dear mrs north said after a lengthening pause but your father's patients don't pay their bills very promptly and there are the boys college expenses to be met we'll have to think of that this conversation marked the beginning of many interviews gradually increasing in poignant interest to both mother and daughter it appeared that sam as elizabeth now called her lover with a pretty hesitancy which the young man found adorable wished to be married in june so as to take his bride with him on a trip west in which business and pleasure might be profitably combined mrs north demurred weakly but dr north was found to be on the side of the young man i don't believe in long engagements myself he had said with a certain suspicious gruffness in his tones i hope we should have our daughter to ourselves for a while longer but she's chosen otherwise and there is no use and no need to wait we'll have to let her go wife and the sooner the better for both of them the important question being thus finally decided not only miss tripp but the north's whole circle of acquaintances in innisfield as well as the female relations near and far 
were found ready and anxious to engage heart and soul in Elizabeth's preparations for her wedding, which had now begun in what might be well termed solemn earnest. Are we going to keep house? Elizabeth asked her lover in the first inrush of this new tide of experience, which was soon to bear her far from the old life. To keep house, dear, with you would be pretty close to my idea of heaven, the young man had declared, with all the fervour of the inexperienced bachelor. I've boarded for nearly six years now, with barely a taste of home between whiles, and I'm tired of it. Don't you want to keep house, dear? And Elizabeth answered quite sweetly and truly that she did. I can cook, she said, proud of her old-fashioned accomplishment in the light of her new happiness. We will have just a little house to begin with, and then I can do everything. But a suitable house of any size in Boston was found to be quite out of the question. It will have to be an apartment, my dear, the experienced Miss Tripp declared, and I believe I know the very one in a really good neighbourhood. I'll write at once. You mustn't think of South Boston, even if it is more convenient for Mr Brewster. It is so important to begin right, and you know, my dear, you couldn't expect anyone to come to see you in South Boston. Mrs Carroll, who chanced to be present, was observed to compress her lips firmly. Lizzie, she said, when the fashionable Miss Tripp had finally taken her departure, after much voluble advice on the subject of the going-away gown, coupled with a spirited discussion of the rival merits of a church wedding and just a pretty simple home affair, if I were you, I shouldn't let that Evelina Kipp decide everything for me. You'd better make up your mind what you want to do and what you can afford to do, and then do it without asking her leave. It seems to me her notions are extravagant and foolish. Why, Grandma, pouted Elizabeth, I think it is perfectly dear of Miss Tripp to take such an interest in my wedding. I shouldn't have known what to do about lots of things, and I'm pretty sure you and Mother haven't an idea. The girl's pretty lips curled, and she moved her slim shoulders gently. Your mother and I both managed to get married without Miss Tripp's advice, retorted Grandma tranquilly. I may not have an idea, as you call it, but I can't see why you should have ruffled silk petticoats to all your dresses. One good marine skirt did me, with a quilted alpaca for everyday wear, and two white ones for best. And as for a dozen sets of underclothes that won't wear once they see the wash tub, they look foolish to me. More than all that, your father can't afford it, and you ought to consider him. Elizabeth looked up with a worried pucker between her girlish brows. I don't see how I am going to help it, Grandma, she sighed. I really must have suitable clothes. I agree with you there, Lizzie, said Mrs Carroll, eyeing her granddaughter keenly over the top of her spectacles. But you aren't going to have them if you let that sip girl tell you what to buy. It isn't sip, Grandma, it's trip. T-R-I-P-P, -P, said Elizabeth in a long-suffering tone and she knows better than anyone in Innisfield possibly can, what I am going to need in Boston. You'll find the people in Boston won't take any particular interest in your petticoats, Lizzie, her grandmother told her pointedly. But the girl had spied her lover coming up the walk towards the house and had flown to meet him. What's the matter, sweetheart? asked the young man, examining his treasure with the keen eyes of love. You look tired and uh, worried. Anything wrong, little girl? No, no, denied Elizabeth evasively. Only Grandma has such queer, old-fashioned ideas about clothes. and She thinks I ought to have just what she had when she was married to Grandfather fifty years ago. Of course, I want to have everything nice and suitable for Boston, you know. 
"'What you are wearing now is pretty enough for anywhere,' declared Sam Brewster, with masculine obtuseness. "'Don't you bother one minute about clothes, darling. You'd look lovely in anything.' Then he kissed her faintly smiling lips with the fatuous idea that the final word as to wedding finery had been said. End of chapter 3 Recording by Michelle Eaton